and welcome to a conversation on Buffering the Vampire Slayer with me, Alba. And me, Mac. Today we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but we're going to focus on how we came to the podcast and our experiences in the podcast so far and what we hope to accomplish in the podcast mixed in with a lot of other things. I'm sure there's going to be some Buffy tangents as well because... Hi there. It's why we got our jobs in impartiality. Maybe and mostly is why we got this job is because <laughs> we were both obsessed with Buffy. <laughs> I think it would be really fun if we talked about how we both came to the show, like how we discovered the show and the impact on our lives. I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before, but I discovered Buffy when I was 12 because my mom had a boyfriend who was a really big Buffy fan. Him and his son were both Buffy fans. And we, me and my mom were like, really? Like Buffy? Like, are you sure? I don't know. Cause that's the rep that the show had, uh, you know, still some people think it's like not a good show, but they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> and, So we started watching it and immediately became obsessed. We used to rent the DVDs from like this kind of like progressive video store in our neighborhood. It was basically like my first love. It's like how I explain it to people like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not like Buffy herself, but like the show was my first like true obsession and dedication and like love affair. (laughs) And because of Buffy, I realized that, you know, screenwriter was a job because of Jane Espenson and like Marty Knox. And I was like, wait a second, people like write for TV. Like that's a job that people do. (laughs) Like I want to do that. So I have been, you know, since, I don't know, 13, I've always wanted to be a writer and I ended up studying film production and, you know, that's my, that's my jam. I like write on the side and work in film production and like pretty much because of Buffy. For me, it was uh, like a bit similar. So I was a very precocious kid and uh, my favorite movie the year that Buffy came out was actually a movie from the previous year, The Craft. Uh, and I could talk ad nauseum about that movie, but it was like very <laughs> formative for my identity. Right. Um, and so when Buffy rolled through, I, it was also like the gap between, I want to say the last or second to last season of Xena Warrior Princess, which mm. is also something my mom and I watched together. And so my mom and I actually watched, I think the first maybe season or two seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer together, actually, for the most part. Looking back, that first season was a little rough, but I can see why like, <laughs> eight-year-old me was like really into it, right? Uh, but yeah, I watched it in real time. Every week there was a monster of the week, you know, we were on edge about graduation, you know, that whole, whole roller coaster my age group millennialized we had a lot of strong badass female characters weirdly mm-hmm. enough some of them thanks to joss whedon right and i really enjoyed those characters you know i enjoyed xena and gabrielle i enjoyed buffy i enjoyed faith when she rolled into town i mean even moving into angel some of the like not so loved female characters that came through even angel i liked that they were like tough and strong and so that was always like my gravitation towards Buffy the Empire Slayer for years and years and years. And post that, it was just uh, a wasteland of grossly unempowered female characters for years and years and years. So I kept revisiting Buffy as like, yes, <laughs> women mm-hmm. can be powerful. Like even like the, in quotation marks, Lisa among, among them, like 
Dawn could handle herself. <laughs> she really could. Not I to spoil anything, but like where she like kicked somebody, and I was like, "Oh, look at right? you with your bad self!" Like, <laughs> well, we just have the gift where she's the only person I can think of who forced Glory to face her as Glory. She demanded it. Like she was like, "I'm probably gonna die, but you're gonna look me in the eyes. You do it." <laughs> yeah, and so I wrote about it really intensely in college. Uh, like, really intensely in college. If you have seen any of my buffering stuff, I mentioned that, like, in college, every paper I wrote was about Buffy. And then I met Jenny and Kristen while we were doing camp, and they did live shows. So I knew they were doing a podcast, but, like, I have a long list of podcasts. But they did live shows, live recordings. And so it's the first time I heard about buffering or heard buffering happening. And so, like, I popped in and listened, but I actually keep up with the podcast because my kids at work are obsessed with all of Jenny's songs from Buffy the <laughs> Like, obsessed it's super cute so then Kristen's like hey so we want to make all these changes and I've worked with you doing this uh on camp on a camp scale so how about on a podcast scale that has like 5,000 listeners (laughs) (laughs) I think it's more than that I think it's a lot more than that don't tell me that Kristen told me she told me it was 30,000 oh okay (laughs) <laughs> that, that yeah. explains why my inbox looks the way it does. <laughs> by camp you mean a camp right yeah the website autoshadow.com uh runs a camp called a camp and i was actually a camper uh turned junior staff member as a lifeguard turned senior staff member as a co-director of the speakeasy which was the psc space so we a made sure that the programming itself was inclusive and anti-racist and then also held closed spaces for all sorts of POC folks. So sometimes it was like, yo, here's our, you know, specifically Asian space or Pacific Islander meetup or, you know, a black meetup or uh, like we're from, we're black, but we're from Britain, which we had a lot of people surprisingly. Um, and so we just sort of made sure we had spaces. And, and that's kind of like what we're trying to do. Now, just with 30,000 people, <laughs> which I didn't know before, thanks. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think, like, really why I want to do this work and why I have chosen to be part of the podcast is because I felt lonely sometimes listening to the podcast. I felt like there were things that were just being brushed over, that there wasn't conversations around the things that represented who I was and my struggle as a POC or other POC people. And it was lonely and it was painful. Like when Forrest was killed, like so gruesomely, like they turned him into a monster, you know, like, was that really necessary? And the fact that like, not at all, (laughs) not at all necessary. And the fact that I think most people don't like look at that through a critical lens and be like, why do we have to mutilate our POC people? Like, why? Yeah. Why do we have to mutilate Black, Indigenous, and POC? And more than anything, Black people, right? Like, all the time. You know, Kristen and Jenny completely brushed over that. And I remember I was, like, in the bathroom doing something, like, getting ready. And, like, that's when I listened to the podcast. And I was, like, waiting for them to talk about it. You know, I was just, like, sitting there waiting for them to talk about it. And they didn't. And that was, like, so disappointing for me in that moment. And so after George Floyd was murdered for me, I was like, this is a time where I had really been thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do to create any positive impact? Like, how am I going to use my voice? How am I going to use my energy? And for me, like I decided to put that energy into sending an email to Kristen and Jenny 
about like how they could make the podcast more accessible and more inclusive in those conversations in the tone in the general tone of the podcast because I felt as a listener that that was really lacking for me it was um like Kristen asked and it was literally I want to say a week and a half maybe two after George Floyd's murdered and I mean LA was shutting down parts of Beverly Hills. Minneapolis was quite literally still on fire. They were toppling statues into the ocean. Uh, Hell <laughs> yeah, man. Sort of, Hell right? And so yeah. I was sort of looking around, you know, in my house. I work at a church. You know, I live with, you know, my mom who's elderly. So, like, I ain't going to be out in these streets. So, it's like, what, like, what is a thing that I can do other than, like, run my mouth on the internet? But I do that anyway, right? <laughs> you know then 500 person audience um, you know I deal in information is what I tell people like I I learned to do it during Occupy so during Occupy Wall Street I was a sophomore in college um, and we learned that you could listen to police scanners online and use social media to tell the crowds where the cops were coming from and like mm-hmm. communicate to bring people like recharged batteries for cameras and phones uh, and so I learned to do that. So, like, that's what I was doing during Occupy. That was my skill set. Uh, same thing during Ferguson. I ran information. Uh, but with this, I was like, they don't need me. Like, we've come to the point in which they can run their own social media. Like, they do not need me. What am I going to do? So when Kristen said, hey, <laughs> we want to do this specific anti-racist work that everyone's talking about and all these, you know, big companies are wrestling with and small companies are wrestling with we want to do it and we want to do it intentionally and we want to pay you to do it i actually had to stop and think and go like hold up if this goes really bad um <laughs> you know in the middle of this it's, it's the blowback's gonna be really bad on me but then like i really thought about like the work that i've done with kristen and Jenny, and like we have been in the trenches together and they have always had the best of intentions but they have always been like Ah, uh, oops, we fucked up. We need to fix it. So I chose to do this work because both I needed an outlet or I was going to lose my mind. And mm-hmm. because the outlet provided was something, A, I am excessively knowledgeable about. Um, and I trust Kristen and Jenny to be operating in the best of faith. <laughs> faith. <laughs> it's been encouraging to see to white people that like I idolized for sure kind of show up and be like I don't know everything and I realize that I fucked up and I'm gonna do the best in my capacity which is limited of course and like learning still but to try to do the right thing and that for me has been like a really good sign of this is like the right place to be putting that energy because I think in so many other spaces people just always again take for granted the work of like the work of people of color as a given or as like a, they should, you know, and, and I think they've done a really good job of like compensating you and I and making sure that we have a voice and making sure that we have a space and like really trusting what we say and not, well, I don't know your experience. That's my experience of like, whatever I bring to the table is always received really positively and carefully and responsibly. Yeah. Yeah, I've never gotten like a single, like, well, I don't think that's relevant. It's always like, okay, so how have we presented this previously? How do we need to, like, look at this? And it's like, yes, see, just the openness to be like, we need to look at this. 
sometimes it's all it needs to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, that's what's so important about like doing anti-racist work for like white people is to just be like, I need to open my eyes to this thing that's going to be painful and going to be difficult and probably going to be attached to with like, or come with a lot of shame and embarrassment. And I just need to like, look at it and like deal with my feelings and do something about it without panicking. Yeah. The sense of panic is it stops a lot of work from being done not necessarily because PSE get frustrated with it, but because like white folks don't, they're not taught how to handle that in -hmm. the way people of color are taught to do that as a means of survival. Yes. Yeah. And the way that like people of color are taught to like swallow our emotions or like deal with them or hold them without, you know, responding with them because we can't, you know, it's not safe to like 90% of the time, but you know, white people aren't taught that like, Hey, maybe you like, shouldn't say that because there's going to be backlash, you know? Yeah. I mean, okay. Again, as I've been told many times, people don't like me, you know, using Buffy's analogy, but like, that's how I live my life. I'm sorry. Um, but this is the word. podcast. This is our literal <laughs> job. So if there's anywhere to do it, please do it here. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I posit a thing. <clears throat> I'm going to say this out loud on the podcast for the first time. So I posit that Faith Lahane is coded as Black for many reasons. One of which is her slayer is murdered. Keep in mind, she's 15. Her watcher? She's called Her watcher, yeah. She's called at 15 years old. And she deals. And she gets herself all mm. the way to Sunnydale. She's a kid from a broken home with no one to go back to and gets herself to where she's supposed to be safe. Buffy at 15 stomps her feet, throws a fit, and says, I quit. Buffy has the privilege Mm -hmm. of having that reaction. In order to stay alive, Faith has never, even before she was called, had the privilege of doing so. And I think that is the difference between the two of them and partially why Faith is coded as Black. Yeah. That's such a... There's my hot that's, take. A, that's a really <laughs> good point. That's just a really, really good point. And it's true. When we look at survival and what people have to do to survive and how that's not typically... Like, yeah, we see movies about survival for sure, but I think privilege is just a really good point to bring up here because it's not something that white people usually have to struggle with. And it's not... I guess we do have to see it in media, but it's not the same at all. <laughs> it's oh just not the same and faith does deal, have to deal with it and she is like shunned by everyone and she's like not good enough according to whoever and she does constantly do what it takes like do what she needs to do to survive even going to the mayor you know because she wasn't like fully accepted in, in the scooby gang like she never was like taken in as like one of their own like welcomed into the crew so like she found like the comfort and the protection and the per- like the they like he provided for her nobody was like hey faith like stay in my house or like here's an extra room whatever literal child like (laughs) i never understood that one like she's a literal child like what's wrong with you people it's it's a privilege thing it's the idea that like some people aren't given the privilege of 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 not handling the ugly of life and others are Mm, yes that's it that's it. When like the ugly of life is what you're forced to look at and deal with. And 
when you have the privilege to not look at it, you know, that's something that you, when you don't have to like realize how difficult life can be, you know, or fully understand the scope. It's just like, all right, then maybe you should just like take a minute, reflect, and just also like, please be quiet. You know, you don't need to (laughs) say anything. Just listen, make space. It's okay. It's fine. We know you're there. We know you have processes. We know you have feelings. It's not the time. I think one of my responses to somebody was, okay, what I need you to do is think about it. Do you have an opinion that's going to contribute to a rich conversation or do you have an opinion that you want to post because clearly? (laughs) (laughs) And it's not like, so people say it sounds harsh, but then I've had a couple people come back and go, okay, but when I thought about it, that is actually pretty fair. I kind of assumed that because I have an opinion it needs to be said. It's like, yeah, it doesn't. And thank you for (laughs) Okay. So um, let's see. We have another point here. How we have the same goals approach from different directions. Should we talk about that? Yes, absolutely. So I think our our same goal is to build anti-racism into the foundations of Buffy. Um, so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, when they go back and they retrofit buildings for earthquakes that have already existed, it's the same concept, right? We're going back to the bones of what buffering is and going, hey, here's the way we can make these specific changes that are anti-racist. And now because they're part of the structure, then when you're building out or you're filling the office spaces, etc. Anti-racism is always there. And so we're doing that by, you know, even just having a, hey, you can anonymously let us know if something has bothered you or there's something you think you want to change and the anonymity, which, you know, one of the big things that happens in spaces is people of color speak up and there's huge blowback for them personally. Yes, that doesn't yeah. happen when you have an anonymous way to voice your opinion. So it's things like that. It's also looking at how we're discussing all episodes, but specifically ones that deal in race or don't deal in race, but should, um, Mm -hmm. how some of those intersect with race and gender. And I think once we get into season seven, that's, that's a more common conversation that'll need to happen. Just going, okay, take this episode. Jenny, Kristen, what are your views? Great. Here's some supplementary things that you can use. So the habit of noticing those things too. And also for the, you know, listenership going, you love this thing so much and you have such a deep history with it. Here's a new lens with which to view it, which will help you be more connected to other people of color Mm -hmm. and also as non-black people of color Mm -hmm. to see how black folks are viewed. And as black folks to see how like, non-black people of color view you view themselves within the show that sort of thing so having those big anti-racist conversations and I guess I'd say anti-prejudice conversations within the POC Mm -hmm. community yeah that's a really good way of putting it and also I think by doing that work it's lending a lens to people or like a window into something that you know we were just talking about privilege and like the the privilege, the privilege of not needing to look at the nitty gritty of something and being like, yes. oh shit, that exists. Like I should probably look at that. And, you know, listening to buffering, like I didn't really ever realize how queer Buffy was growing up. Like I did not know. Oh, I did. And then, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think if you're queer, like, you know, but I grew up like not super queer, bad not girls. Really, like, how, I know, how did yeah. you watch bad girls and not pick up? 
<laughs> I don't know, man. Like I was, I was, I don't know. I don't know. It just like, wasn't part of my radar. And then I was like, I watching it. I was like, I was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, obviously. And like <laughs> my mom had noticed it, but she just never talked to me about it. Like, I don't know anyway, but Anyway, needless to say that my experience with this podcast also has opened me up to like realize how queer Buffy is and how queer like everything is. And like, I love it. I feel very immersed into like, I've, I've just had a new perception of the way I process information is different. Content information, the way I relate to my queer friends is different because of this podcast, you know? So I think if anyone relates to that experience or having kind of that solidarity in this podcast as a queer person, we're trying to add a layer of race discussions. I think taking the show that seems so, so white, but going, hey, but look at the tropes, if you will, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. were born of this and look how much of that you see in the varied media that you consume now. So this is where it started. So you can look at it and go, hey, cool. And then you can take it and apply it to whatever diverse media you want to. This is your primer then go take mm-hmm. your first spin in the big world. Exactly. And I think that's it. I think, you know, for me growing up, I related so much of Buffy to the real world. It was like really ingrained in my understanding, my learning about life. And I think it still is, you know, now that I've like lived as an adult for a while, because I haven't really watched through the entire series since I was maybe in my early twenties. And I'm like, holy shit, this is deep. You know, the, the way that they're talking about these issues is like really resonates with me now in a way that it didn't when I was younger because I hadn't had those experiences, but being able to draw those parallels between the show and life and being able to see different aspects is exactly what you said, like a primer to then understand like, oh, that thing they talked about in Buffy and like that race thing, oh, it's happening right here with my friends in this circle. Let me see like how I want to deal with that and what my choices are as a Black person, as a non-Black POC as a white person, like, how am I going to deal with this issue that has been brought forward to me? Yeah, for me, the big lesson that I took away from even as a kid was men will always fear women's power. Mm, yeah. Um, that's, that, like, and I remember that so clearly. There have been moments yeah. in my life where I was like, and this is how Buffy was treated. And this mm-hmm. is how Willow treat, was treated, like, by her friends when she became too powerful. You know, and very swiftly, like I said, Faith is my girl. Like, even to the end, they were afraid of her. But part of what they also feared was she was always, she had already stepped in her power by the time she got to them. She had defined mm-hmm. herself. And so I think yeah. for me, that was also a big lesson I learned. Like when you define yourself, when your power is not something bestowed onto you, your power comes from who you are, mm-hmm. you're going to have to forge your own path. And that's something that I learned extremely yeah. early from watching Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. I think that's such a good point because I also think that, I mean, my experience as a woman of color, and I'm, I don't want to speak for both of us, but I'm sure we can both relate that like when you are a powerful black or woman of color or brown woman of color, like people are extra scared when okay. you have an opinion, when you voice your opinion, when you're smarter than them, when you're more educated, when you have vocabulary that people don't know, they're like, oh, hmm, I don't know, you're a bitch. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, I am. Continue. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and what? There's a quote from, from uh, Angel. Cordelia is talking to some character that's been taken over by like a demon. Um, and she literally goes, you are a vicious hell bitch. Remember that. 
(laughs) That's the best pep talk I have ever heard. Hell yes. And that stuck in my mind. So when guys would call me that in college, it'd be like, correction, vicious hell bitch. (laughs) So I guess maybe a bit more about like your work specifically and then a bit more about my work specifically. Yeah. So my work specifically is, uh, it's it's community-based. So Alba and I are definitely working together because Alba's part of the production team. And I'm sort of, I'm tangentially part of the production team in that we're trying to build everything into the structure. Um, A lot of my work is community-based. So it's bringing the community up to speed from being simply Black Lives Matter, because obviously we're not racist, to, okay, Black Lives Matter, and also I have to work on myself continuously because ally is a journey, not a destination, right? So within the community, you know, I float around and I definitely do respond to threads, but I'm also there because sometimes people say things that they don't understand are perpetuating racism or prejudice, um, or they're not thinking through how the impact could affect different people across different, even socioeconomic levels within race, um, which Mm -hmm. I think is also a conversation that Buffy never really has because there's not really enough black and brown characters to discuss that. And also, like I said, I'm doing the book club so that we can all have a really good base of like, feminism isn't just all the stuff we learned in school um, mm-hmm. about the Women's March and suffragettes and Gloria Steinem. It's not even stuff that you would read uh, in, like, you know, Ms. Magazine, right? It's, it's living and breathing, and the conversation has shifted and is mostly taking an online presence. So I, mm-hmm. they're called public academics. Um, so people like Dr. Yaba Blay, who I hype up all the time. Um, and so we're having conversations around those books and going here's where feminist discourse is now so Buffy was considered very feminist to an extent it was but here's what the conversation is now here's the inclusive conversation we're having so look at this thing that you love see how much of it has translated into what's happening now and moving forward understanding that just because you came from someplace that may be imperfect does not mean you can't move yourself closer I would never say anyone's perfect, but, like, you can't move yourself closer to being in, like, right relations with people. Mm-hmm. Our book is Hood Feminism, right? And it's literally called Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot. So looking at a lot of Buffy conversations, it's about, you know, Buffy was a middle, I'm going to say upper middle class if her mom was running an art gallery. But what about the people that the movement forgot? And I think by reading Hood Feminism, even though it's specifically about women of color and black women specifically i think after going through it with the book club people will realize look at every other woman in buffy the vampire slayer Drusilla is clearly i'd say she was maybe a bit autistic somewhere on that spectrum and was turned and think about how she was treated within her world of richness and, and luxury and glory she was locked away right a forgotten woman Look at even Willow, right? Poor mousy Willow was often forgotten by Buffy until until she could not be ignored anymore. Like if you look at all of the female characters throughout that show, you could absolutely apply things from hood feminism. They're the women that the movement forgot, but you can mm-hmm. still watch their journey, but you don't know to look for it because the advertisement is a blonde girl. 
Yes. Yes. Um, so I think that's also a lot of my work is like, who are you watching? It's like Harry Potter. Yeah. Like nobody actually, this is, this is a quote from Jenny actually, like nobody actually reads that for Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> you're there yeah. for Ron. You're there for Seamus and Dean blowing stuff up. You're there for Peeves the poltergeist. Like for Hermione and her like general badassness. Look, every time she gets separated from Ron and Harry, it's 50 pages of them fucking up until she comes back. <laughs> That's so true. They can't function without her, and it's really kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a really it's a really good point of, like, Buffy being this, like, white blonde girl. And it's a reason that my mom, like, confessed to me recently. Like, I knew she was apprehensive about me watching the show when I was, when we first started watching it, she was like, I don't know if I like this show. I don't know if I'm going to like, let you watch this. My mom was a mom of color who was very involved in what I would consume. And, and I was not allowed to watch certain things unless I had permission. I like did not have cable. It, the media that I was intaking was very, very curated on my mom's side. And she confessed to me like really recently. She was like, well, yeah, I was like worried about you watching Buffy because I was worried about you you watching this like small pretty blonde girl and not really having a perception of like what like thinking that that would be your life basically and I think it's interesting it's it's also too like that's what a lot of girls who meet that criteria get out of it mm-hmm. but what I've noticed talking to women of color is we also recognize that she never fucking saves the world by herself yes Ever. no like like, as much as I hate Xander, he's annoying. Like, Xander mm-hmm. literally saved her life. <laughs> Many times. Quite literally. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. At the end of the episode where she has, like, send Angel to hell, and she, like, has a moment of recognition, I was like, you realize that that was your teenage best friend resoling your boyfriend, honey. Like, yeah. I think those are the things that other people recognize they recognize that it's more of a communal thing whereas Buffy holds on to like that white supremacy it is just me I'm the only one I must do this whereas everyone else is like we're a community that works together and we research things and Giles Mm -hmm. goes off and talks to things and Anya uses her demon magic and I think a lot of people of color relate to it in that sense of community that's absolutely how I interpreted interpreted it growing up and what you know how it was discussed in my home was this like community. And like, I think a big point of the show is that like, she survived so long because she has help, oh, not yeah. because she, she does it alone. Dead. Like <laughs> the whole point. Yeah. It's like, she doesn't die the first time literally because Xander is there to give her CPR. Okay. So in the terms of the work that I do with a podcast, it's, you know, I'm not so involved in the community. I think there have been moments in which I have been involved in community or like public facing announcements or messages, things like that. I feel like in the way that you're part of production, I'm part of like the consulting aspect. Like it's like, we're like yin and yang in that yeah. way. Or like each of us has like a little role in each part. But for me, it's really about, as Mac mentioned earlier, kind of bringing that lens to each episode. So I like watch each episode and I'm like, Hey, there's like this problematic thing here or like, Tara's hair is like really weird in this episode maybe we should talk about that maybe it's cultural appropriation or what language is Giles speaking here like you know let's talk about the historical impact of a gourd because those things are really relevant to giving more presence to things that we often ignore or brush under the rug that we don't see as important 
or that society by we, I mean, like society doesn't see as important because of the kind of dismissal of other cultures that are not white or Western or Eurocentric. And so making sure that there's space for those conversations, making sure that there's research done into different aspects of the show and that Jenny and Kristen talk about it or that I get to come in and say a little something about what it was like growing up with dolls that didn't look like me or like not wanting dolls that looked like me and how Buffy being able to have a doll that looks just like her is like a reflection of society, you know, and all these little things. So that's like really what I want to do. And, you know, it was obviously my background because I come from a production background and it's been like really rewarding so far. I feel like I'm doing something that's like important and impactful and is so rooted in something that I love and has been such a big part of who I am, who I've become. And like what I see in that is so much of our media like we, we're mostly not passive consumers of media. Like, yeah, there are some people, but I think a lot more millennials are active consumers of media. But what happens mm-hmm. is they're active after it's already exists, right? It's it's media critique. Pop culture critique is what I, I said that, like, I did. Mm. Um, and, like, what you're doing is going, no, we're critiquing the media before we put it out. Like, yes, yes, this is about an old show, Buffy, but this is a new medium and this new media of podcasting. And so we are going to examine all of these things before we ever put it out to be seen. And I think that is, like, great work that I'm super, like, stoked to be involved with, but also excited that I don't have to do the production part. (laughs) Well, thank (laughs) you, because I am absolutely not qualified to do what you do yet. I hope that one day I will be. I hope that one day I will be as qualified as you are. See, I always tell people that like, it's not necessarily about being qualified. It's going, yep, I want to do the thing. Because let me tell you, find me a white man anywhere who's actually qualified (laughs) to do the thing. And has just instead applied to do the thing. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's my, that's my white supremacy showing. See, it exists in me, everybody too. It exists in us all. In us all. All right, should we talk about the elephant in the room? <laughs> <laughs> what has happened to us socially since we started the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. You go first. It's, it's so um, much easier for you. <laughs> it's true, but it's so related to you, though. So, you know, joining the podcast put me in a position of public eye. Um, you know, not nearly as much as Mac or Kristen or Jenny, but, you know, I've, I've accumulated like an extra, whatever, 200 followers on Instagram, which is, to me is, feels very strange. <laughs> I'm like, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> like, happy you're here, but why are you here? I don't understand, but cool, cool, cool. Like whatever. And I had to leave the Scoobies of Color group that I've been talking about just because it just like wasn't appropriate for me to be part of that group anymore as someone who was like very behind the scenes in the podcast. And they, I just realized like they really need to have be able to have a safe space without me being like uh, conflicted on whether I should talk to Kristen and Jenny about something or like get offended because, you know, I did like all this work on something and like it wasn't received well. So I was like, you know what, like that, I just can't really be part of that community anymore and that's okay. But it was something that I had to deal with and grapple with. Uh, Otherwise, like it's been um, pretty chill for me so far. Sometimes I get like emails or DMs. That's been like pretty cool. And sometimes I like go into the comments and I like read them and I'm like, (laughs) and sometimes they're terrifying. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, don't read the comments. I told you that. I keep telling you don't read the comments. And yet. I, <laughs> I think socially, it's almost more of like an internal process for me of like, okay, now I kind of feel like more responsibility of what I put out into the world and that I stay true and keep integrity to myself, but then also the work that we're doing in the podcast, making sure that that reflects in my so in my uh, outward facing personality. So that's been like an interesting transition. And then of course, um, you know, Kate left, did a thing and we had to have like an emergency meeting and come up with a document to put out. But I'm like, Matthew, please talk about it. I keep telling people like, I'm not sure how we got here. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So for those of you who don't necessarily keep up with anything other than just listening to the podcast, which is a completely legitimate way to live your life. (laughs) Um, So Kate Leth used to do fashion segments, but that was eliminated um, a while back. And I have never worked with Kate during buffering. And actually, while we have orbited each other socially in Los Angeles for about 10 years, I sort of just stayed away from her. We don't, we have mutuals, but like, we don't chill. Yeah. I think important to say that neither of us has worked with Kate. Right. And one of the processes that we were going through with doing like essentially an audit of buffering. And so in the process of auditing, we sort of went through, all right, what are things that we have to address? We have to discuss Kate. Because this was the point in which Kate had dropped a slur about the Romani people in a comic. Yeah. And just so you know, I think like a lot of people don't know that that's a slur, but it yeah. is. So yeah. the G well, word. also used in Buffy when discussing yeah, for the sure. soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a slur and it's got a really, really nasty history and the proper name is Romani. Kate chose to not just drop that slur, but to do it in a comic where that discusses being a sensitivity reader and then has her character, who is the sensitivity reader, uh, the character being herself, uh, also drop the slur. So the internet was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we need to address the fact that, like, Kristen and Jenny didn't know. We need to address the fact that, like, you know, as white people, they had the right, that they had the point of privilege to not know. Um, and then that's when the avalanche of, and here's all the terrible things she's been doing for 10 years, all came out on the internet. So people were very deeply incensed at this point. All of her victims were people with less power than her. They were young queer people. They were young black women all trying to get into an industry. And she had the foothold and the power. And that's why her victims, she chose her victims specifically because no one would believe them. Sound familiar? (sighs) Like, I got issues with that. So like, but again, Mm -hmm. I was like, not my circus, not my monkeys. (laughs) <laughs> one of our group members in the private Facebook group publicly posted uh, a post directed at Kristen and Jenny that said, hey, I really want to talk about why Kristen and Jenny haven't addressed X, Y, and Z. So Kate is a part of this Facebook group. And she yeah. steps in. Again, this Facebook post is directed at Kristen and Jenny. Kate steps in to defend all of her racist behavior. It's just about being accountable, you know? It's just about yeah. being accountable. And there was and zero accountability. And I just, I want to say that, like, there is a difference between an, a, like saying sorry, saying sorry doesn't really mean anything and excusing away your behavior is not an apology and being accountable. Like a real apology is being accountable. It's saying I fucked up for these reasons. Not even for these reasons. No reasons. I fucked up. This is how and I'm aware and I'm going to try to change and this is how I'm going to try to change. 
that's true accountability. So I don't want anybody getting confused that the post that she put in the Facebook group, which I know a whole bunch of people have gone and read. I just want to be clear that like, so people don't get confused. Oh, but she apologized. Like she was apologizing for the stuff he did. No, that was not an apology. That did not excuse the things that she has done. And that was not was, being like an honest, always, open human. Yeah. It was always a, I'm sorry. And exactly. I'm sorry, but, and that's not, I'm sorry. That's not, I'm sorry. And there's a lot that's of like, but. well, I'm trying and I'm learning. It's like 10 years in queer, arty, POC spaces. You haven't learned anything? Really? Second of all, the world is on fire. You still haven't learned anything? So I was asleep because I'm on LA time. So I just got text <laughs> messages from Kristen going, yeah, okay, this is happening. <laughs> And I was like, okay, great. And this was just when it was just the post by the group member. And then she starts texting me in the morning. My phone starts going off again. And I'm like, the fuck is going on now? And she's like, okay, so, so Kate responded. And I was like, God damn it. And at the same time, and this is the only, this is the only funny part of this is at the exact same time, Kristen and I opened Facebook and saw that Kate had used me and another <sighs> members' faces. So at the same time, first thing in the morning, almost zero coffee in my body. I was like, <laughs> this bitch did what? And like, that was my immediate reaction, and I refused to take that back. My immediate reaction was, this bitch did what? <laughs> like, and, and Unacceptable. So what she, did was she took my face, my words, my work that I had been doing with buffering, and the work of another Black woman, and again, something people keep asking, no, I will not name her, no, I will not pass that information forward. She has made the choice that she does not want to be publicly involved. And as you will hear subsequently, there are very good reasons why. Um, and I was pissed uh, because a white woman, uh, when faced with her own racism, tried to use two black women to shield her. Yeah. I ain't your mammy. This ain't the help. <laughs> uh, we, don't, we don't do this, right? <laughs> and so I tried to keep it super professional. I didn't call her out in that space. I messaged her privately and told her expressly, like, if you check the receipts that I've left on my highlights on Instagram, and I just said, hey, I'm not here working for buffering. This is personal. Like, my personal work as a consultant, you done fucked up. Here's what you, this is why this is wrong. Here's what you need to do. And again, she came with the, I've been reading so much and learning so much and also, and I was like, Bitch, I just want an apology. <laughs> I don't care yeah. about what your feelings. That's not what I'm owed. I'm owed an apology. And she tried to do it like private. I'm sorry. I'm like, you exposed me. You have 20 something K followers on your Instagram. You had 85.5 thousand Twitter followers. You don't get to mm. use me and expose me to all those people and mess up my rep by associating me with a racist to a combined almost 100,000 people and quietly apologize in a message. The apology must be as loud as the disrespect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Record as this happened. So she couldn't act right. And so I made a video. And originally I made the video because I knew people who can hire her and can, I know people who have drawn for her and can draw for her and can also tell her no later down the road. And I said, look, she doesn't want to apologize. Then there needs to be some sort of impact. And if I can't have any impact, I know people who can. So that's why I made the video originally. Because I had 500 followers. <laughs> yeah. I just happened to know some people who could either talk to her or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, have this question come up when she's being interviewed. And then it exploded. Yeah, literally. <laughs> exploded. 
Yeah. <laughs> I went from 500 followers on Twitter. To, I think I have 1,200, 500 followers on Instagram. To, I have well over 2,000. I mean, in 48 hours. My DMs mm-hmm. were full. It was 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. My DMs are full. Like, I turned my phone off because it kept beeping. Um, I had blue check Twitter coming for my neck. Uh, like her blue check friends were trying to say oh. and that was the social impact of doing this work was suddenly I went from doing my job to taking on an extremely well-known comic and mm-hmm. everything that comes with that so that was every single blue check who came after me people who lied and accused me of being a racist myself hashtag reverse racism isn't real mm-hmm. uh, it I is not real Right, thousands of people, but what, like, what was the most devastating was I had people in my inbox saying her behavior drove me out of the comics world. She harassed me to the point in which some people had like relapses and breakdowns. Uh, people weren't believed. They took lesser paying jobs because they didn't want to be anywhere near her. Wow. Like, that was what was most devastating was I suddenly went from someone who like was loud on the internet semi-professionally to someone people were looking to to fix this problem of Kate Leth. Like it completely changed the landscape. Like my audience is different. The things that I say are different. People still have this sense of like, I am the champion for the underdog and it's bizarre. And that was all in 48 hours. It was really fun. And then, and also because we put out that statement, we like wrote a statement with Jenny and Kristen for the podcast, like to say that the podcast did not support Kate and that what she had done was really, really whack and that, you know, they were basically cutting ties. So that was like a pretty big deal. And I think after that too, like I got like a hundred followers that day for having my name mentioned. A side note, uh, (laughs) very, very interesting thing was uh, someone actually said that uh, I handled the situation super unprofessionally and oh, yeah? tarnished buffering. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. And in tarnished buffering, what it is, and, there were, and for every one person who says something out loud, there's four who are thinking it. And what I found so interesting about that was, it wasn't that it was unprofessional. Oh, honey, I used all my $5 words and used every bit of queer and women's theory that I've ever learned to break that down for people. But I was angry. Yeah. I wasn't nice. I wasn't the mm-hmm. mammy. I wasn't any of the gentleness that people expect black women to swallow in order to make them comfortable in their anger. And like, that's part of the conversation that we need to have because that's why a lot of our black characters behave the way they do because Kendra fully should have whooped Buffy's ass yeah. a couple times. But black women are not be angry like that, right? We're nice and we're accommodating. Even if we no, don't in fact, Kennedy, Buffy teaches her how to be angry. Exactly. To which I'm like, what white woman in history has ever taught a black woman how to... Really? Really? <laughs> Buffy is allowed to be angry, and her anger is fine. Again, Faith, coded as black, her anger is always condemned, even if it's rightful. Yeah, and it's always unjustified, right? It's always undermined as like, oh, you know, Faith, like, she's having a moment. And it's like, well, she probably had a lot of reasons to be angry that were valid. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that was one of the also interesting points to me. It was just, like, 
you know, hey, you should have handled being publicly mistreated more professionally. No, you mean I should have quietly asked the white woman nicely to apologize to me when I said, no, like, I don't have to be nice to someone who used me and is racist. Like, that nice doesn't get you anything. Yeah, and I want to be, like, clear about how, like, exactly what she did and why it was so problematic because I think people don't have a hard time grasping, like wrapping their heads around it. It's because she made it seem like she was part of the anti-racist work that had been done so far on the podcast. When I saw the screenshots, I was like, oh, this bitch. (laughs) Because we had been working actively, like you, me, Mac, with Jenny and Kristen for the past couple months, like as you said, doing an audit and really, really doing active work. And I knew, and Mac knows, and obviously Kristen and Jenny, that, that Kate had not been involved in any of that work. So for her to say and imply with her screenshots that she had been part of that work and part of that process, she literally (laughs) took the work that Mac had done because she used her face, the work that I had done without knowing because she couldn't be bothered and said that she did it instead. So anything any like good that came out of it. She just got to glorify herself using a black woman and another woman of color and the labor yeah. that we had done. And that is and it was the definition white way too. of white supremacy. Exactly. That is literally it. Is that not like the root of everything is claiming work that you did not do and getting the credit for it. Well, and with the implication people, that she yeah. stepped aside to give a space to which I was like, you don't give anybody anything. Like it's the implication of not just white supremacy, but like of white saviorism, Mm -hmm. which was also a huge problem. And what I think people also fail to understand too is it's not the first time. This is just, we're the ones who had the platform to say that this was wrong. So I think also a lot of people are like, well, it doesn't seem like a big deal because for them, it's a one-off thing. I think for those of us who are women of color, we know this yeah, is we the know. first time since we've done to one of us. And even, mm-hmm. you know, Jenny and Kristen working in the areas that they work also understand this is not the first time something like this has happened. They learned, you know, in real time. So, like, that's also part of it, too. And, you know, I have the quote. It's literally, like, my opening thing on my highlights is by Zora Neale Hurston. If you were silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And that was the root of what it was. Yeah, I could have kept it very quietly in that message. And protected and her, Kate, like, right? Yeah. As a result, protecting her and her... Coddled her actions, whiteness. Coddled her. And then she could have, like, made a really nice public apology when the fact that what she did was really, really fucked up. Yeah, that, that fucks with my bag for a while. 100,000 people have me associated with a racist, and I will have to explain that every time I, I go for a consulting gig. The quietness that people expect to coddle whiteness is at the root of also the discussion that we're having, Right. Because a lot of conversations that have come up in our space that are some of the more, like, I don't want to say divisive, but, like, either uninformed or reactionary responses are rooted in their whiteness is no longer being coddled. They're like, wait, I can't just watch this blindly and not think about it? Like, you're going to make this political? Yes. Yeah, baby, because my whole life is political. That part. (laughs) I don't have the choice. (laughs) 
Yeah, like, yeah, so the Kate thing is also rooted in that. And also just the fact that, like, she sucks so much air out of the room. Like, we're still, we, <laughs> we have to have this conversation. Yeah, we do. We do. You know, we I have had to, to make that video. And then I had to make a second video because nobody could act right. So it's like, that's what Kate did. Like, it's also the ramifications of her racism and behavior. And instead of just doing my job I'm paid for, there's all this excessive emotional labor. Um, and I think, like, we talked about this, but there's such a big difference doing anti-racist work and the work that we were doing before we had to deal with Kate. And then all of the work that goes into responding to racism and how much public space that takes up. And what, what gets the spotlight, right? Like, everybody became a patient so they could read, well, not everybody, whatever, like, a few people became a patient so they could read the Facebook comments. But how about, like, becoming a patient because you know that Kristen and Jenny are doing anti-racist work and hiring me and Mac to do that work? What takes up space? What takes up light? What are people attracted to? And, and it's taxing. I think it's taxing for us. Yeah, 100%. So much to reflect on. Yeah, and I think, and I think a lot of people have really good intentions. Like, I love when people are like, hey, I just have this question and like, I will like Venmo you 10 bucks. And then like, I mean, if I can just save it for the next live that I do, like, that's also fine. Like, but like, I appreciate that some people are just like, I don't know and I can't find a good place to get that question answered. And those are things that I love, right? Or when someone's like, I want to do further reading. Like, I consider that like the extra labor of like, getting people on along the road. It's, it's the stuff where, you know, people have real big opinions. (laughs) I remember people questioning your credentials. I talked about that in the live. Like, they also checked my credentials, but, like, when you go back and Google me, like, I have worked for and written for some heavy hitters. So, like, you get put in your place real quick if you question (laughs) my pen, if you will. People were actually asking, like, what made Alba qualified to get her job, to which I would like to reply, Alba, this is not Alba, this is all me going, do you ask white men why they're qualified to talk about race? Do you ask Brene Brown why she's qualified to talk about it? Do you ask Busy Phillips why she's qualified <laughs> to do it? Hell, are you asking Kristen and Jenny why they are qualified to try to change their podcast instead of just shut it down? No. You know why? Because when you're a person of color you can target another person of color rather than getting pissed off at the white people who actually have the power. That's shitty. And that is what is happening. Like, that is enacting white supremacy, even if you're a person of color. Yeah. Like, what were the rules? You did, did you follow the right protocol? Like, those were all markers of white supremacy. Yeah. Talking to you has been so great because, like, you've just been like, no, but like, Fuck them, you're qualified. <laughs> you're so Literally, qualified. no one is qualified. Look, everyone has to start somewhere, and this idea that you need a certain amount of pedigree to get anywhere is bullshit. Some of your greatest yeah. coders who created apps are literally kids in their room. And I'm not talking the rich Silicon Valley kids. I mean, the kids who built the app to help kids find lunch partners were kids in a bedroom with no training. The kids who yeah, started the Parkland protests yeah. were kids who were on, you know, Vine a couple days later, who sat on a floor with their parents and said, we're going to create a march, we're going to go to legislators, and we're going to change the world. And guess what? They did. Pedigree means nothing. Your training means nothing. You start where you start, and you are qualified. You, that white people you need a degree nonsense has gotten us nowhere. 
zero places. But guess what? The recent protests got us somewhere. Marches mm-hmm. on Washington got us somewhere. The protests in Taiwan got people somewhere. Abandon this idea. <laughs> yeah. You need to be qualified. And if you do have those issues, you do not take them out on your own people. You question those in like positions of authority. I'm hot about that, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so mad. <laughs> I appreciate it because I'm not that mad. I'm still like, I did something wrong, but you did not do anything wrong. Aiden. <laughs> nope, nope. You will not hold other people's shame. Mm-mm. Yeah. Look, I might use Brene Brown as an example, but I have read her stuff, her and Glennon Doyle, (laughs) and their conversations around shame. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, of course, I think for me, something that's changed is, like, my responsibility towards other people of color and within the Buffy community, within, like, the world. It's, like, my greatest fear is that I will somehow offend somebody or, like, let them down, and I don't want to do that, but also, like, I am just a person and a human doing the best with what I have let's just all remember that like none of us are perfect. You know, we all make mistakes in like every conversation. We say things that are accidentally racist. I have Mm -hmm. for sure. We all have blind spots. Yeah. And I think also part of this process of anti-racism and anti-racist work is we're going to have to like work on learning the difference between criticism and critique. Critique has the intent of being bettering Mm -hmm. um, people of going, Hey, I noticed this. And I think it made me feel this way and I think this would be better or I just feel some type of way and I'm not sure how to communicate that or how that could be different. And then there's criticism, which is what you and I are getting. We are just getting mountains of criticism. You are doing it wrong. You are doing it bad. You are unqualified. You are unprofessional. (laughs) Like People haven't gotten to the critique part yet. (laughs) Give us something constructive. We'll take it. We want it. Yeah. Like, somebody was like, oh, hey, you need to have transcripts and captions for your videos. And I was like, great, awesome, I can make that happen. That is a critique that I can take and do something with. But people are really uncomfortable, I think, with the changes. Um, and so they're, they're criticizing a lot more than they're critiquing. I would love more people to critique rather than criticize. I appreciate more voices in conversation. I don't appreciate more antagonists in an already antagonist-filled situation. Yeah. And, you know, I think I'm speaking for myself, but if there's anything I can do to help you out, like, please let me know. I will definitely, you know, and same, like if, you know, if I need to have like a, we're acting out in front of company, (laughs) (laughs) I can also have that conversation. I'm super excited to keep working with the podcast. I cannot believe, like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like working these days, like watching season six and prepping. That's my job. Yeah, right. I'm also doing it. <laughs> I'm watching it, taking notes. First of all, I don't think I've ever taken notes on Buffy, and I've written about Buffy, and I'm now going, okay, so for season six, we need to throw this in there. We need to throw this in there. <laughs> like, Jenny, you need to have a jingle for just this specific episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting, and I'm excited to see how the community changes and grows and how we can, you know, move forward together together as a team team effort We're all you want to be part of the team together. yeah like that's it if you want to be part of the team you're welcome to be part of the team and also I think too one of the hang-ups that people are having is that we are focusing on black uh which makes people uncomfortable right because anti-blackness runs through every culture and it yeah. is made so by colonialism 
colonialism. Yeah. So, like, people are very uncomfortable with the focus on blackness and that, like, the loudest voice doing the work is a black voice. And that, like, white people are going, yes, this person holds power. Uh, We are in agreement. Yes. And so I think that deeply makes people uncomfortable. But what they're missing is, like, when you deal with anti-blackness, you deal with everybody else's stuff, too. Because the model minority myth that hurts Asian folks was created directly in opposition of black people. Like, that is the history of that. Light-skinned, blue-eyed, you know, Mexican folks are held up on high because Uh, a lot of the Spaniards that came over, Spain was ruled by the Moors, who were black. So (laughs) when some of those conquistadors came over, they were black. They married with black slaves. So that's where that colorism came into play. So, like, Mm -hmm. black liberation is deeply tied to everyone's Mm -hmm. liberation. Mm -hmm. So, like, as we're doing this work for black people, we are 100% doing the work around other people. And we're going to bring in other voices. But at this particular moment in time, when America's on fire, because a man, for the second time, a man died saying, I can't breathe, and a father of, like, six got shot in the back, we're going to be talking about black people. Yeah, unarmed was shot in the back at point-blank range. We're going to be talking about... Yeah, when a young woman was murdered in her home for no reason by police, like, yeah, we're going to talk about it. And her boyfriend was told that he could get a lesser sentence if uh, he admitted that she's part of a drug ring, and he wouldn't, and he's going down for 10 years. And I was like, A, that's a real one. Get you that kind of... Yeah, because he got a gun (laughs) to defend them. Yeah. So it's like against the we're cops who are black shooting. Right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. We're gonna talk about black people. And also, I know, like here in LA, when they they shot a young a Latino man in the back who was running from them and planted a gun on him, and the whole city came out and said, "The hell you say!" And mysteriously, the gun. No, no, he didn't have a. We didn't find a gun, despite that being reported days before, despite it being reported that he shot at them. When the community came forward and said, "You shot this child," no, you know it is more and is bigger and once we do a thing it spreads right yeah if that's not what yeah. the media tells you so i also think like people just need to like get comfortable with the fact that dealing with blackness makes you uncomfortable but examine why who and what has yeah. told you that this is bad and who has told you that there's not enough that if we are talking about us that there is not enough for you right yeah there's still so much. I like. I can't wait for all the other conversations that we're gonna have. I feel like we should we should do lives. We really need to do lives. We should, we should do lives. We should do <laughs> lives together. Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah, every like periodically and just talk about different things and and what, also like what's going on glo- like um, globally. All right. Well, we're signing off. Oh, I Hi. guess you can find me. <laughs> Where can they find us? <laughs> so no. My Twitter is a Moreno Daza. A-M-O-R-E-N-O-D-A-Z-A. And my Instagram is at albadaza. And my website is albadaza.com. So you can check me out there. I have a short film that's going to be up on the Ethnocultural Art Histories Research Instagram, which will probably be linked in the show notes. Thank you, Kristen. And that's where you can find me. That's where you can find my work so far. For me, you can find me on Instagram at macmactalksback. Uh, M-A-C-K-M-A-C Talks Back. And on the Twitters, you can find me at MacMacTalksBack, but there is no A in the word talks. Love it. (laughs) 
All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.